Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There's no offseason. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from a Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, who should probably win manager of the year this year, and just a line drive from Sunken Dime in the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. I'm recording this on the 21st day of August 2018. We are now in late August. It is officially late August. If your team is, I've always said this, if your team is in contention, and by in contention, I mean a weekend sweep away from first place. Three or four games of a playoff spot. If your team is in contention on Labor Day and you're the general manager, pat yourself on the back, you did your job. Now, I mean, that sounds bizarre, especially for some teams that have lofty expectations. But what that means is you gave your fans a summer. The fans got a summer where they thought, geez, we've got a shot at this thing. And with that in mind, uh, you know, very few teams in the National League were non-contenders. If the Giants go on a winning streak, they could climb back to it. But they're really, you know, it's they're really kind of out of it right now. But you know, the National League is a complete scrum. There's a three-way tie for the second wildcard spot, and that three-way tie does not include the defending National League champion Los Angeles Dodgers, who are only two games out of it. Someone that it may have been, uh, I may have been Jason Stark. I forget who who posted it. That there was a possibility, and and not an outlandish possibility, that eight teams in the National League could finish with eighty-eight wins, making it an eight-way tie for the best record in the National League. I don't think that's going to happen. Oh my God, I want that to happen. That would be the greatest event in baseball history. If at the end of the year you have eight teams with the identical record. There is no best team. You know, they're, they're, the best team in the National League is tied with the eighth best team in the National League. Only five of them are allowed to participate in the playoffs. It would be the single most chaotic, wonderfully bizarre, tie-breaking. I have no idea how you would untangle that spaghetti. I want that. Now, it's very clear that while we're probably not going to have that, we could have the same kind of anarchy that we saw towards the end of the 2007 season. I don't know if you remember the 2007 season as well as I do, and it isn't remembered as a great sort of scrum because, as as Dan Epson pointed out in his wonderful book, Stars and Strikes, 1976 got underappreciated as a season because the World Series was a sweep by the Reds, and we tend to judge the quality of a season based upon the postseason dramatics and the fact that in 76 the World Series was a bit of a snooze and in 2007 the Red Sox plowed over the Colorado Rockies. The Rockies actually were competitive in three of the four games but it was it was a clean sweep and people don't remember all they remember the first game blow and after that the Red Sox were in control. But that year you had anarchy in the National League in that the two best teams in the National League going into September were the Padres and the Mets, and neither one of those teams made the postseason. You had the amazing and frantic dash by the Colorado Rockies, 
mixed with the collapse of the Padres and the Phillies overtaking the Mets and the Cubs winning the division. I mean, it was just, it resulted in the one-game playoff. It was craziness. The best record in the National League that year was by the Arizona Diamondbacks, managed by Bob Melvin, and the Diamondbacks had a negative run differential. They were outscored and yet won more games than any team in the National League. They should have had a losing record. Instead, they won 90-something games and had home field advantage in the NLCS. Uh, Again, the National League playoffs were a bit of a snooze because both um, division series were sweeps. The D-backs swept the Cubs, Colorado swept Philadelphia, and then the NLCS, the Rocks swept the D-backs, and then the World Series, the Red Sox. There were so many sweeps that year. The Red Sox swept the Angels. There, There was only one division series that wasn't a sweep, which was the... Uh, Yankees won one game against the Indians. That was the Midge game, and then or the Midge series. And while the Red Sox played a seven-game series with the Indians, there wasn't that one classic moment. The Red Sox came back to win it, but there wasn't that classic Dave Roberts steal, you know, cop jumping up and down the bullpen sort of moment in that. So that was weird. But the finale was insane, and that's why I'm bringing that up. And we have a chance to have that kind of crazy finale here with the Braves. And the, you have to look every day. Are the Braves ahead of the Phillies? I don't remember. Are the Diamondbacks in front of the Dodgers? Are they Where are the Cardinals? Where are the Brewers at? If it started today, they would have to untangle the spaghetti of the Rockies, Phillies, and Cardinals who are tied for the second wildcard spot. And after they untangled that, that team would have to play. They will probably be as one team would kind of get a one seed, I guess, whoever had the best head-to-head record. And so let's say that's the Rockies. I have no idea. I haven't done their research. Philadelphia would play St. Louis in a one-game, winner-take-all game. The winner of that plays Colorado for a winner-one-game, t- take-all game. And the winner of that takes on Milwaukee. So you'll have one team would have a chance to have to play three winner-take-all games and then have to play the Cubs. So they'll probably be on their number four starter. That's insane. And it's what your pal Sully wants. I like anarchy. I like things that are bananas. Now, what I'm not a huge fan of is something we saw last night. I want to bring this up before I talk about the main thing. Uh, I brought up the other uh, week or maybe two weeks ago my idea of something that I had heard on the Buster Only Baseball Tonight podcast, which I proposed a slight variation on in terms of Limiting the number of pitchers you can use to four in a nine-inning game. And you present those four when you turn in the lineup. Here are four pitchers. I know it's a slippery slope, and I'm not going to be as gung-ho about this as I was about instant replay, but I also understand that sometimes these pitching changes can get a little bit crazy. You were starting to, One thing we're seeing is a rash of position players pitching. And sometimes, as I noted when they had... Kiki Hernandez pitching in a tie ball game, you know, we're running out of, you, when you go in extra innings, you're like, oh, geez, what, we, what the hell are we going to do? Because we have a left-handed specialist who threw two pitches in the sixth instead of, I don't know, facing a second batter. And I can think of no better illustration of how something like this can be a bit of a drag. And remember, baseball is supposed to be a fun, exciting game. The reason why things like the designated hitter and shit like that were created was because they were trying to 
boost up interest in the goddamn game. Sorry, Ray. So let's take one game. It, it was between, um, I'll call it the uh, the Francisco Cabrera reunion game going on in Pittsburgh. Uh, the Braves played the Pirates. The Braves played the Pirates. Now you had the kid Wilson. Um, I believe it was maybe his major league debut. I don't remember. It was he's certainly, if not his debut, then one of his first games. And Archer, who they brought in from Tampa Bay. The final score of that game was one nothing. One nothing. One run was scored. And do you know what? It was scored in the first. One nothing was the final. Atlanta defeated Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's back down to five hundred. Atlanta's in first place. In that game, the Pirates used one, two, three, four, five pitchers. The Braves used one, two, three, four, five, six pitchers. It was a nine-inning game. Final score, one nothing. Eleven pitchers were used. Eleven. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. When the final score is one nothing, you have a hard time convincing me that any pitcher got shelled. That any pitcher was blown out of the water. It was one nothing. If I were the if I were in the lineup along with you, uh, Ray, Cubs fan with an 8, Jason Kaido, uh, Stacy Gatsoulis, all the, the regulars here, Kenny Mack, you know, Aaron Foley, there's your lineup. We would match the Pirates' offense in terms of runs and nearly match the Braves. Okay? You can't say, oh, we got to take that guy out. He's getting hammered. What was the final score? one nothing. And yet, you had innings where you had, I mean, you had Biddle. How many pitches did Biddle throw? Four. Brock, 12. Winkler, 20. Okay, he pitched the ninth. Fine. Venters threw 13 pitches. And the Pirates, you had, uh, you know, Kayla threw 12 pitches. Um, Ed Santana threw five pitches. I mean, do you think Santana maybe had a six pitch in him? Do you think they could look him in the eyes and say, you know, come on, do you think you can, you, come on, I know you give me half a dozen pitches. Can you push it to double digits? I mean, at some point you say, like, look at, I know we're trying to pick up the pace here a little bit. 11 pitchers for a one nothing game. And say, oh, Sully, that's an aberration. Something like that won't happen usually. Oh, yeah? Well, let's get on a plane. And fly to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay played the Kansas City Royals last night. The Royals used one, two, three, four pitchers. And the Rays, because they they're weird, threw one, two, they also there are eight pitchers combined for this game. What do you think the score of this one was? Guess. Guess. One nothing. Four pitchers, four pitchers. It wasn't as egregious as the Braves and the Pirates. But, again, uh, we had to pull them. They were getting rocked. What was the score? one nothing. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a bloodbath to your pal Sully. At some point, 
you got to say, what if we let the pitchers pitch? Stretch them out a little bit. We'll have fewer position players pitching. And maybe you won't have as many trips to the mound. I understand the need to have a deep bullpen. I understand that in the postseason, the deep bullpens matter. And sometimes are the difference between winning the World Series or not. I get it. But there's got to be some sort of mid-ground. I'm not saying, back in my day, they was an 18-inning game. The pitcher threw 19. At the end of the game, they made him force them to throw an inning on the side just to say, you keep throwing. You keep throwing or I'll throw things at your head. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying have everyone watching the game become a Mississippi sheriff from 1964. What I'm saying is, Maybe one of the ways to speed up this, Johnson, is to, I don't know, trust the pitcher for a seventh pitch. There was a game that went on the other day where it was, um, what the hell game was it? Was it the A's game? Maybe the A's game. No, I know what game it was. I know exactly what game it was. It was between... Uh, Tampa Bay and the Yankees. And Sergio Romo, remember him? He was he looked wild. He was closing out the game and he looked wild. And so the guy, the manager of Tampa Bay, Cash, brought in some young schmuck whose name I don't remember off the top of my head. And the bases were loaded, nobody out. And the Yankees were losing, I think, by one run. I knew a base hit would tie the game. And, and it may have been one run. If I get if I get part of the details wrong, do you know what? You're going to have to treat it as an unreliable storyteller. I already called the, the pitcher, what's his name at this point? Well, what's his name comes out. Some schmuck pitcher I've never heard of before got a, 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 a strikeout. And then he got Greg Bird to pop up. And Bird got booed. And he looked really good. And the next batter up, the potential final, you know, you know, two outs, and he's a left-handed pitcher, and a right-handed hitter was at the plate for the Yankees. I don't remember who it was, but it's someone batting right-handed at that point. May have been Romine. I feel like anyone, I feel like everyone in the, the world is somehow now the, the child of former Red Sox pinch runner Kevin Romine. And... It was a lefty pitching to a righty with the game still on the line. And Kevin Cash, the manager of Tampa Bay, did the unthinkable. People gasped. It was front page news. It was in the Times. It was in Time Magazine. That they all said, what is he doing? Has he lost his mind? He let the pitcher face one more batter because the pitcher looked good. And do what he did? He got a strikeout and ended the game. He read the room and said, this pitcher's throwing BBs. This pitcher, they can't hit him. Now, of course, if he let up a hit, so why did you bring in the right hand? Why did you not bring in the right hand? I get it. And managers sometimes manage by fear. Manage avoiding the criticism. But instead, he let the pitcher pitch because he was pitching well. Because I would have said if they brought in Joe Bag of Donuts from the bullpen, so, well, he's a right-hander. Well, this other guy was throwing great. And maybe 
I don't know, maybe having the next batter come right up and say, oh, God, with no time to think or anything like that, that may work in the favor of the pitchers on the mound. Stretch out the relievers. I am not a in-my-day guy. I'm not. I'm, that's, not how I, that's not how your pal Sully flies. I fly by Southwest. But at some point, when you look at a one nothing game and 11 pitchers pitched, you can say, yeah, I really think someone was pitching well enough to maybe face a couple more batters. How do you know that, Sully? Well, the final score was one nothing. By definition, everyone pitched kind of pretty well. Well, you know, he let up a couple of hits. I don't know, maybe work his way out of the jam. Have that pitcher ready to go. And maybe he'll throw eight pitches the next inning. We'll talk about one other quick thing. Um, I'm, the Red Sox are my team. Um, and uh, I want them to win the World Series. I want them to win 100-some-odd games this year. I've never seen Red Sox win 100-some-odd games. They have a lot of homegrown players on this team. Uh, if this team happens to win the World Series, I think this would be a uh, a really beloved Red Sox team. I think more so than the 2007 team, which was kind of a strange championship. I mean, I love a Red Sox championship, don't get me wrong. But there are a lot of players on there that kind of rub fans the wrong way in some ways. And it would be a lot different than the 2013 championship, which was wonderful. It was Boston strong. This is our fucking city, all that stuff. Uh, but that being said, it was a lot of mercenaries. A lot of guys who weren't members of the Red Sox a year before and were gone a year later. So... You know, it was a lot of players that we loved but were were mercenaries. And the 04 team had a lot of mercenaries too. But the 04 team is special because of who, what they, they were the first to do it. They defeated the Yankees. They'll always be the first in everyone's hearts. Uh, you know, but when you have one championship team has the likes of J.D. Drew and Jonathan Papelbon and, and Josh Beckett and Julio Lugo and... and you know, like a lot of players who are like, oh, they're not exactly fan favorites. And the other had fan favorites like Victorino and Napoli and Gomes and Koji Uehara, uh And, and you know, I'm missing a couple right now off the top of my head, you know, David Ross. But those guys were all gone in a year or two. Uh, it's tough to have the same emotional attachment to them, even though it's wonderful what they did. You can have the emotional attachment to... Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts and Andrew Benatendi, um, Jackie Bradley Jr., Raphael Devers are guys on this team that you can point to and go like, man, we can love these guys for the long term. They're homegrown players and they're players who we can really love. That's what I want. And obviously I'm a Yankee hater and I don't want to see this team. I want, I want a decade without a Yankee pennant and we're getting precariously close to that. Now, that all being said, if you can't have the team you want, the Red Sox, if the Red Sox don't get in to the World Series uh, and we're sure the Yankees don't get in, one thing that I find, and there, there are always teams that I will attach myself emotionally to. This A's team, I think, is very easy to root for. You know, I, I think that there are a lot of, this A's team is a lot of fun. Um, and, and I'm rooting for a scrum in the National League. But for short of your favorite teams... And any other teams that I have any sort of emotional attachment to, like the Giants. I have an emotional attachment to the Giants. But I don't think they're going to do it. The Nationals, friend of the podcast, Sean Doolittle, is on that team. They're not going to do it this year. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the Pirates. They're not going to do it this year. So when you look at it, and I brought up the idea of a scrum in the National League, 
I want to get back to that for a second for a reason. Short of my team winning, one of the things that I find myself rooting for a lot, and this happened last year to a degree too, is I find myself rooting for something you haven't seen before. Something unique. The Cubs winning the division or the Cardinals winning the division this year, there's nothing special about that. I mean, if you're a Cub fan and a Cardinal fan, of course, people say the same thing about the Red Sox. I get it. I'm not an idiot. But there's a team that has a chance to do something that the franchise has never done, which is going to sound weird because I alluded to a pennant that they won earlier in this podcast. But the Colorado Rockies are a team that I'm finding myself more and more rooting for down the stretch. They have players like um, Nolan Arenado, who I'm a big fan of Nolan Arenado. They have Carlos Gonzalez, who was left over from the 2009 uh, postseason and played on the wildcard game last year. Um, they play, I mean, I like Ian Desmond. I like, I like DJ LeMayhew, if for no other reason, whenever I say his last name, I think of Peter Mayhew, who played Chewbacca. Uh, and they also have, you know, I mean, they have Kyle Freeland. They spent a ton of money on their bullpen, and their bullpen has been awful recently. Wade Davis has been awful, and I, it cringes every time they still put him out there in late-inning games. If at this point you said, you know what, um, I don't know, maybe uh, try Jake McGee, put anyone else out there, because they're, they're obviously not going to be better than Adam, you know, than Wade Davis, because it's been, you know, he's blown a ton of games recently. But one of the reasons why I'm rooting for them is that here is something that has never happened in baseball history. We have never finished the season with the being able to say the words, the first place Colorado Rockies. There are two franchises in Major League Baseball that have never won their division. Never. And they both showed up the same year. The Marlins have never won their division, and the Rockies have never won their division. Now, as it turns out, the Marlins have won the World Series twice, in 1997 and 2003, the only two times the team has even made it to the postseason. They're a wildcard team both times. The Rockies made it as a wildcard in 1995, the Blake Street Bomber year. They won the wildcard game, one game playoff against San Diego in 2007 and went on to win the pennant in that wild Rocktober rush that led to the 2007 World Series. They made the Division Series as a wildcard team in 2009, where they lost what was actually a very competitive series against the eventual pennant winner, Philadelphia Phillies. And then in last year, they were they lost the wildcard game to the Arizona Diamondbacks. They've always been a wildcard team. They have never won the division. And they are now in a, are they in first place or not battle with the Arizona Diamondbacks, who at one point this year looked like they were going to rampage through the NL West and then looked like they were awful and basically were a microcosm of what the National League pennant situation is. As I'm recording this, and i got to double-check this because they, i, I got to make sure there wasn't a day game or something I missed, but as I am recording this, the Colorado Rockies are now one of the, wild, one of the three teams tied for the second wild-card spot, but they're also half a game behind the Arizona Diamondbacks and tied in the loss column. And this evening, the Rocks are going to be 
playing the Padres, Anderson against Erlen in Coors Field. Now, you know, the Rockies are a strange franchise. Denver is a wonderful city, first of all, and it's also a great sports town, but it's, it's a Broncos town. It's the it's a city that, that revolves around the Denver Broncos. They they'll show they you know they like the Rockies, much like they like the Nuggets and they like the Avalanche. But it's a you know the main sport there are the Broncos. The Broncos won the Super Bowl a few years ago, so they're a fan base that has been mollified at least for a few years. So there isn't that sense of uh, desperation like what was happening when LeBron showed back up to. Uh, Cleveland. But this Rockies team, which has a great combination of homegrown players and some, you know, some stable veterans, it is a fun team. Not the Blake Street Bomber, you know, just swing from your heels softball team of 1995, but still a tremendous amount of power. I mean, our Arenado is having once again an MVP caliber season. Story showing what happened last year was not a fluke. So the two of them are plus 900 OPS hitters. And Carlos Gonzalez, who nobody wanted this offseason, came back, signed a short-term contract with them, and has given them good production. Para, Blackman, and Gonzalez, that's a good outfield. And, you know, Desmond and LeMahieu and Story and Arenado is a good infield. And Ionetta has some pop at catcher. I mean, he's not great, but what are you going to do? And Tony Walters, well, the guy can't hit, but what are you going to do? But I guess when you don't have, like, I, I, I like the, you know, I spend a lot of time in Pasadena. I'm near Dodger Stadium. You know, it's fun. Last year was fun as hell when the Dodgers were in the World Series to have that excitement around town. Um, but you know, I have no ill will against the Dodgers. I have no, obviously, I have no ill will against the Diamondbacks. It'd be kind of fun to see the single worst uniform in baseball on display in the World Series. But that being said, as a neutral observer of many of these teams, I don't have bones to pick with the Braves, the Phillies, Mets. Well, the Mets, I'm sorry. <laughs> the Mets, the Mets. I would love to see the Mets in, but they're not doing piddly poo. I have nothing against the Cubs. I have nothing. People think I hate the Cubs. I don't hate the Cubs. I just didn't want to see them win the World Series that year. Um, I'm not a big Cardinals fan, but it's tough to get mad at this Cardinals team. It's a, they're a likable bunch. And the Brewers, I'd love to see the Brewers do something for the same reason that it's like, you know, they don't get into the World Series that often. In fact, it's only happened once. Part of me really likes the idea, I don't know if to see them win the pennant, but to say the National League West champion Rockies. Something that we've never been able to say before. They've come tantalizingly close, especially in 95 and 07 where they were a game out. But they haven't won at all. They haven't won the division. And anytime you can see something, say, hey, do you want that to happen for? When? Never. I don't know. Your pal Sully thinks that's cool. And that's the sort of thing that happens when you have the luxury of your team having won 88 games. <laughs> you know, I had a goal for the Red Sox to win 96 games this year. That's what I wanted to see them do. And all they have to do is win eight games between now and the end of the season. They will have met the goal I had set for them at the beginning of the year. So when you have that kind of luxury, then you can look around. Now, with that being said, these games are great. These matchups are great. 
This is the, one of the most fun times of the year to be a baseball fan. So let's get into it. And if the score is one nothing, do you know what? Maybe give the chance to the pitcher to throw an eighth pitch. I'm just saying. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe. But, ooh, there's a truck near here. I'm not even going to cut that out. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. You'll be old school. Send me an email at info at SullyBaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Talking rocks. Talking pitching. And talking baseball. As a big-ass truck is pulling up and, and causing all sorts of noise here. What the hell? This has been Sully Baseball for the 28th day of August 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Do you what you better do before this truck runs me over? You better call me Sully. God, it's like the movie Duel.